If you have a Bible nearby, why don't you turn to John chapter 4. We've covered the, uh, the fact that God is holy and He is uh, independent. He's not lacking anything. He doesn't need anything. Um, he, he doesn't change. His, his character doesn't change. His personality doesn't change. His promises don't change. His purposes don't change. Uh, last week we talked about how um, He is unaffected by time in the way that we are affected by time. So we exist in a, li- in a linear sense, and I kind of constructed this uh, random kind of timeline with some clothespins and things. Um, and so we are experiencing one moment after the other. We don't know what the next moments hold, um, but God experiences time all at once. He sees everything that's ever happened in perfect clarity and detail uh, at every point in space for all eternity. He just sees it all at once, and yet he... So, so in that sense... Uh, he is outside of time, and yet he meets us on that timeline. He meets us in time and helps guide us and shepherd us. And um, while we don't know what is ahead, he is preparing us for what is ahead. And when we listen to his guidance and we let him do his job, he leads us perfectly uh, going forward. And so if last week the idea is that he's not He's not, um, or he's unaffected and unlimited by time. Uh, today we're going to talk about how he's unlimited and unaffected by space. And uh, so today's topic is, is the fact that God is, is omnipresent, that he is present everywhere all the time uh, without exception. And so um, that's kind of where we're headed. So I just gave the whole sermon away. So uh, now I'm just going to expand upon that, obviously, a little bit. Um, but in order to kind of understand how God can be unaffected by space um, and, and physical matter and all that kind of stuff, we have, to, we have to kind of try to understand as much as possible uh, what God is made of, you know. And that sounds like a, like a question you might get in, you know, in a kid's community group or you know, a kid's Sunday school class or something like that. Someone's like, what is God, you know, what is God made of? Um, and it's such a good question, and maybe not one that as adults we think about a whole lot. But he's not, he's not made up of matter. He's not made up, there isn't like a substance to him. Um, that is very important in understanding how he can be everywhere at one time. So in John chapter 4... Uh, this is, uh, we see Jesus' uh, conversation with the woman at the well. We talked about this in our community groups a few weeks ago. Not, not in regard to omnipresence, but in something else. But um, as a part of their dialogue, one of the questions that she asks is kind of similar to our question of, like, kind of, like, what's God made of? She's, she's um, by her question, we know that she doesn't really understand omnipresence. Uh, and that she's thinking of God in very material terms, kind of like we do. And so, if you look in verse 19 of John 4, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay? So, so just going at the question, um, she is a Samaritan woman, and so she is a little bit confused about where, where's the proper place to worship. And kind of beneath that question is this, this understanding of basically like where, where is God? I want to make sure I'm going to the right place 
to worship him where he actually is. Um, and in that, in that time, there was all kind of worship of these idols and all these other kinds of gods. And uh, all the countries, they were very close to each other. And so a lot of their beliefs would kind of mix in with one another. And there just tended to be a lot of confusion about this. But it's coming down to this, this idea that, um, like, in what building does God reside so I can go and worship him? So you can go in various parts of the world right now, and there are, there are temples that are set up, and these are like holy spaces and locations that either it's believed that there's a God that, like there's a particular idol that's like constructed inside a building, and so people go to worship that idol. Or it's a sacred space that's a, a part of the narrative of that you know, particular kind of faith. Um, a couple of times in uh, travels to, to India, we've gone to a Hindu temple, um, in uh, there in Calcutta, and there's a, a temple to the god Kali, and so there um, are people that come from all over India on this this pilgrimage to come and to worship in this particular temple, and uh, you, they, uh, like anybody can go in there, and so they're like, you want to go in? Do you want to go in? And and we didn't go inside, but you can kind of look through the slats, and you can see. And there's like the God that's constructed there and people are there and they're praying and they're offering sacrifices and they're doing all these things. And we got to go see a, a family sacrifice a goat to bring into the temple. And there's just, there's just all these things that are going on. And so kind of what she is asking is like, okay, I perceive that you're a prophet. You could probably give me a correct answer to this. Um, I've heard that, that uh, like the Holy Mountain is where we're supposed to worship, but your people say you got to go to Jerusalem. Can you just tell me where does God live? Because I want to make sure I'm getting it right. And so Jesus, who always answers so perfectly, even when he doesn't make any sense, it's just perfect still. Uh, Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Okay, well, it's a great answer, but what is, you know, what's he saying? Um, he's kind of acknowledging, like, yes, worship has happened on mountains, and worship has happened in Jerusalem. You know, and they have the temple there, and there's the, the Holy of Holies inside the temple, and it is, was considered the place where God was dwelling. And um, so that had been a place of worship. And so he's kind of like being prophetic, and he's saying, well, there's, there's kind of more going on here, and there's going to come a point when, you, when you're all going to realize that, that worship is not confined to a place. Um, so the, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, meaning that the line of salvation will come through uh, Jewish heritage. Uh, verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Verse 24, here it is. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So what in the world does that mean? God is spirit. Um, Well, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows what that means exactly. That God is spirit. It doesn't say God is a spirit, like a ghost, you know, or something like that. Uh, that God is spirit. He doesn't, he's not made up of some sort of material substance. Uh, there, it's not, uh, he's not in a particular place or in a particular building where he is like limited. Um, he's saying God is spirit. 
there's one theologian that he explains it like this. He says, whatever this means, this is one of the smartest guys ever, uh, theologically, he says, well, whatever it means, uh, it's a kind of existence that's unlike anything else in creation. It's a kind of existence that is far superior to our material existence. So God is not limited to physical space because he is spirit. That's part of how he's able to be everywhere at the same time. It's because he's not confined the way that we are confined. So you and I, we can only be here in this room at this moment. You can't also be somewhere else. And we try really hard, you know. I mean, we have... Uh, now with these smartphones, I mean, you can feel like you're really somewhere else. You can feel like you're watching NFL games during the sermon by refreshing the app. I know what happens. Um, you can feel like you're there. You know, you're right there. You're watching your fantasy football scores adjust or whatever. You can feel like it. In fact, some of you probably have apps on your phone where you can watch uh, security cameras inside your own house from right here. But you're not there, you know. You might kind of think that you're there or pretend that you're there, but you're not really there. You can only be here because you and I are confined to space just like we are uh, impacted and limited by the passing of time. Even, even Satan can only be one place. Satan is not everywhere. He's just, one, he's just limited. So you're limited, I'm limited, Satan is limited. God is not limited by space. Because he is spirit, he does not exist in uh, physical, tangible ways the way that you and I do. Um, and so that makes such a huge difference in our understanding of who he is. It helps distinguish, once again, the created from the creator. That we are not like him, he's not like us, and although we are made in his image, uh, we are not him. And so it's yet one more way where we're kind of able to sit back and understand like, man, you're holy. You're completely other than everything else that we see around us. There's no comparison. You can't really say that he is, oh, he's everywhere like air. It's like, well, no, air isn't everywhere. There are places where air is not. Um, There's really no other way to do it. You can't think about light. You can't think about, there's really nothing else that we can compare it to. Uh, in in order to understand it. And I think that's because God's like, well, you're just not smart enough to understand. And even the fact that for our lack of understanding, in John chapter 1, when it says, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. The Word, the Spirit that is God, that dwells everywhere, at every point in space, without limit, without changing, without being affected by time or, uh, or any of that kind of stuff. The word that exists and holds everything together and gives everything life and breath and meaning. The word became flesh. The word went from being immaterial to being material. From not having form to having the form of a man. And dwelt among us. And was born grew up and lived and died in our place, was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father. So God, is, God doesn't have a body. Jesus has a body. Jesus is God, yes, okay? That's in the discussion somewhere. 
But God, in his character, he chose to go from being spirit to sending the Son to become a man. So we, we need to be taken back a little bit by that. We need, to, we need to continue to be stunned by how different God is than anything else that we have to compare to. Um, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, we'll put it up on the screen there. It says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So, uh, we're going to build this magnificent temple. That everyone is going to come to Jerusalem, they're going to worship there, and it's going to be awesome, but it's, it doesn't contain him. You can't contain him. Heaven and, the, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So our uncreated, independent God is spirit. Now, turn to Psalm 139. Before we get into kind of how this makes a difference for us, um, there's one more aspect of this that I think we need to expand on a little bit um, to kind of deepen our, our sense of awe. So God is everywhere. There isn't a, a place in all of creation where he isn't present. But he's not, he's not like spread out evenly, you know. He's not like, a, like an air freshener or something, you know, that's like, oh yeah, the whole room smells like vanilla, you know. It's like, no, it's not like that. Because there are parts of the room that don't smell like vanilla. You know, if you want to get scientific about it. But uh, he's, not, he's not evenly spread everywhere. He's not like, oh man, I really have to work overtime to make sure that my presence is manifest everywhere. He is everywhere, all the time, in fullness. And so there isn't a point in the universe, on earth, uh, land or sea. There isn't a, a place uh, in, in the home of, of the most holy, like, people who are devoted to the Lord, or the most evil people who hate the Lord with a passion. Uh, There isn't a place in heaven or in hell. Uh, There's not a space that you can find where God isn't 100% fully present there. It's everywhere, and it's in fullness. Um, I know you went to Psalm 139, but let me read Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. It says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so, I, so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. There isn't a, there isn't a, a space where he isn't there, and there in fullness. And I remember the, the first time I ever read the sentence in a theology book that said that, said that, God is just as present in the room where you're reading this book as he is in heaven. And that, was a, that sentence, it stopped me in my tracks. 
Because my thinking of heaven is like, well, that's where he's like super, like super present. Everything's bright, you know, and happy and like worship is happening and they're, you know, angels and harps. And I still have a lot I'm working through in my understanding of heaven. But uh, that like heaven is where he's like really present. And here it's like, it's like just like swirls of his presence, you know. Because we see so much of the impact of sin. We see so much of our world that's fallen and broken and messed up and there's just so much around us where you look around and you're like, I don't see the Lord. I don't, I don't feel Him. I don't sense Him. I see Him working somewhere else or in someone else's life, but maybe not my own. And to, to read that and to think about that, that there isn't a difference between God's presence in heaven and His presence in this room, that's a stunning reality for us. When you're driving to work, you're in heaven. When it comes to the measurement of the fullness of his presence. That on your best day, your worst day, in your greatest moments, your greatest failures, he's there. And that's what the verse says, right? Can a man hide himself in secret places so they cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth? declares the Lord. So that's the reality for us. Fully present with his whole being at every single point in space. It helps us understand this when we, when we tie this into the other things we've talked about. Yes, his, his holiness, okay? But also the fact that he's eternal. So he sees all of time at once. And he's present in every moment of time, in every bit of space, in the, in, the most, like, in, in the most tiny way that you could break down matter. He's there in fullness. He's eternal. He's unchanging. I don't think we're ever going to fully be able to grasp it. But in Psalm 139, I think David is working his way through this. Look at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. This is his, his interaction with this. It's, and I love the Psalms for a, a number of reasons, but especially I, I feel like you're getting like insight into someone's journal. And maybe he's just coming to this point of uh, maybe of trying to run from the Lord, maybe trying to hide from the Lord. Maybe there's a part of him that has convinced himself that there are things that God doesn't see, places that God doesn't exist. And then if you're not saying, God, will you meet me here in this moment, that he doesn't show up unless you ask him, as if, you know, we control his coming and going. And maybe he's just at this point where he's realizing there's nowhere I can run. And as frustrating as that can be, that's, that's the biggest blessing God could offer. Look at it again, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? That's not written by someone who hasn't tried to go away from God or flee away from God. That's written 
from the perspective of someone who has been there and has tried to do that over and over and over again. And we know from David's life in the scriptures, dude had some struggles and some dark days. And he's realizing the blessing of God's presence. Verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. He's not saying, oh man, when I, on, when I got to like just the, the most just euphoric uh, awareness of the goodness of my God, he was already there. Like he beat me there. So no, he didn't beat you there. He was already there. Because he never left there. Because he can't leave there. Because he's spirit. Then he says, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol, it's a lot to it. Basically, just think hell. So ascending to heavens, the heights of life, descending to Sheol, the worst moments of life. It's like you're there too. And again, not because God beat you there. This realization that, man, God, God doesn't shift. He doesn't change. He doesn't show up 90% sometimes and like 40% other times. And We're the ones in flux. God is the one that is constant. And I think David is working through this and realizing the goodness of these things. In verse 9, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right, your right hand shall hold me. So, man, God's leadership, his keeping power, his goodness, is made possible because he is holy and not like us. And he's operating outside of time, and he's operating in fullness at every point in space, constantly. So no matter, no matter the roller coaster that my life can be, God's there in fullness the whole time, keeping me, leading me. That's, that's strong. This is, like God is forming this kind of belief in us. This kind of thinking in us. This, like, default understanding of who God is. To where this is not something you have to talk yourself into or be reminded of, but like, no, this is just how, this is how it is. He's there all the time. And he's there leading me and holding me, supporting me, guiding me, even correcting me. He meets me in the greatest moments and the most embarrassing failures in fullness, and grace, and goodness. He's not confined to time. He's not confined to space. Everywhere in creation, God is full. So, what's the, what do we walk away with? How does this make a difference? I, just, I made a list, because I like lists. Let me give you a couple of things. His omnipresence should factor into the way that we view certain things and process different things in life. And if it's not a regular part of the way that you think, I think God is wanting us to dive more deeply into this as a congregation, as individuals. As sons and daughters, I think he, a part of the whole point of this series from his perspective is probably like, hey, I want to make sure you guys are thinking correctly about me and what I'm like and how I, how I interact with you. Um, so here's, here are a couple of areas of life where omnipresence makes a difference. One would be uh, world events. 
So you watch the news and you see, like, I mean, every now and then, like the end of a newscast, there's like a, oh yeah, here's a, here's a light, happy story, you know. But most of the news is filled with terrible things. And some of that is because we love drama, you know. And the media loves drama, and we, all, we, we love it as people, you know. Um, but that's a lot of times the things that are concerning us, is what's happening, what's happening with war around the world. What's, what's ISIS doing right now, you know. What's going on with, uh, with Ebola, you know. What's, what's, what's the latest on that whole deal? What's, what's going on with the economy? What's going on with the price of oil? What's going on uh, with, with this and this and this and this and this? And if you have a really steady dose of that, um, without the omnipresence of God factoring into it, it can be a very overwhelming thing. So you and I don't know what's happening with ISIS, right? But our omnipresent God is right in the thick of it, right? Like he's not out of the loop. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised by things. And I know that that probably brings up more questions than it answers. And I, I get that. I'm, I'm in that camp. But the questions that it brings up, uh, one of those questions should not be, is God there? So we can take that one off the list. Where is God when ISIS is doing this and this and this? Well, he's right there in the midst of it. So let's, let's change the conversation from is God there? You know, yeah, yeah, he's there. And he knows what's happening. He knows everything because when you fuse him being outside of time and him being uh, omnipresent, you push those together. He is fully present with what's going on with Ebola and he knows what's, where it's headed. He knows all the wars. He knows all the economy. He knows what's going on. He's not caught off guard. So when it comes to world events, his omnipresence, it must inform our processing of what's going on in the world around us. And even though sometimes it's frustrating to know he's there, and yet these things are going on, at the same time, we can also be comforted by knowing that our God is is fully present and making a difference somehow. Now, next week, we're going to talk about his omniscience. How he, knows, he knows everything. And we're going to get into sovereignty, and we're going to kind of... Next, next week could be a little messy, and I'll be fine. That's next week. Today we have potluck. Today we have omnipresence. We have all these things. This is good. When it comes to world events, it has to factor in how he processes those things. Second thing... Um, Various forms of injustice around the world. Uh, with human trafficking, with cycles of poverty, with modern day slavery, with famine, with racism. I mean, whatever. Make the list as long as you want. The omnipresence of God helps us in processing this as well. To know that he is fully present with the victims of those injustices. Sometimes you, you, know, you, watch, you watch the news or you watch a documentary or you're on a website and you're reading things and you get really stirred up and you, you really, like you want to do something. You want to go, you want to rescue, you want to solve the problem, you want to bring justice into injustice. You want to you you do that. It's frustrating. Well, God is already with those people in fullness. 
So let's not, let's not lose sight of that. So it's good to be stirred, and it's good to be pushed to action, and we should, like that's, those are things we should be involved in. But it's a matter of meeting, meeting God and joining Him in what He's already doing there, and not about bringing uh, something in that is, is absent at this point. It's one of my frustrations sometimes with, um, with Christian missions is that we kind of feel like, well, especially or American Christian missions, is that we kind of feel like, well, I mean, we're Americans, so we're going to put this plan together. We're going to go and we're going we're to teach them how to do this, you know? And it's like, no, that's, no. Our perspective is not we're going to go be the heroes. It's the hero is already there. We're going to go join our hero in bringing justice or bringing the kingdom, whatever it is. Whatever he's doing there already, we want to join him and be a part of what he's already doing. Um, because he's already there. He's already there in fullness. Now, his church may not be there in fullness, but he's there in fullness. And so is he drawing the church into kinds of injustice? Yeah. You know why? Because he's there, and he sees what's going on, and he's saying, yeah, I'm the solution to this, and I've ch- chosen to work through my bride, the church, and we're going we're gonna to take care of this. Um, but in the meantime, there should be some comfort in knowing that for those victims, our God is just as present wherever they are, as he is in this room, as he is in heaven. And he is the one that brings justice to the guilty and to the innocent. The third thing, omnipresence uh, should factor into the way we view our personal and private lives. So, global issues, injustice, now let's talk about you, talk about me. The omnipresence of God makes a difference wherever you are and whatever it is that you're going through. We should be comforted in knowing that He has not bailed on us. He's not abandoned you. And you might feel that He has. You might not be able to list off a hundred ways that you know God's with you or whatever. But He's invested in your life and he is there in fullness and he is keeping you and he is guiding you and he is protecting you and of all the things that you have all the questions that maybe you have coming up in your life right now you need to take is God with me off the list because he is he absolutely is you're not forgotten and you're valuable and he is with you always now there's so that's the comforting side of omnipresence. There's also a convicting side of omnipresence. Because he is with you always. <laughs> always. We saw it in Jeremiah 23. We see it in Psalm 139. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell... We sing that in the song. It sounds like a weird lyric. It's from the Bible. And saying in your worst moments, God's there in fullness. So don't go thinking, oh, God doesn't see this. Don't go thinking that the things in your life that you have kept hidden from everyone else and you're working overtime to make sure nobody knows this about you. Don't convince yourself that God is also in the dark about that. 
that our sins are fully seen by the one who is fully present. And may we be haunted by that thought. Maybe we should start praying that that thought would reign in moments of temptation, in moments of secrecy, in moments where we're not pursuing holiness, we're pursuing something way different. That in, in those moments, these scriptures will come back to mind. These ideas will come back to mind. And not to heap shame upon us, but to bring freedom. And know that in that moment, you have everything that you need for life and godliness. To walk in truth and to pursue holiness. That as great as temptation may be, everything that you need to walk in his victory is there in that moment. In that room with you. He is with you in fullness always. May we be blessed and may we be convicted by that truth. Fourth thing. Uh, our prayer lives. Sometimes like, you know, people get real paranoid about prayer. Uh, it's like, well, who, who do we pray to? The Father, the Son, the Spirit? Do you have to say in Jesus' name at the end for it to count? And, you know, and we have all these fears and paranoias about like, messing up prayer. And do you really think that it's that big a deal to God? You know? If you, if you ask Jesus to do something, you know, the Father is like, why do I always ask Jesus to do stuff? <laughs> I'm the dad, you know? It's fine. He's present in, in fullness. And so, you know, when, when Jesus describes prayer, he's like, um, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, right? But he knows what you need before you ask him. When do we pray? How do we pray? What do we pray? Your fully present God is not hung up on the details. You're not going to, he's not going to be like, man, he's 100% present. And then like you just start praying like improperly and they're like, oh, the percentage is going down. He's leaving the room. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Get him back in. That's not how it works. He's there. He's on board. He, uh, he hears and responds immediately. Maybe it's a yes. Maybe it's a no. Maybe it's silence. Maybe it's a not yet. Whatever, you know, whatever. But he's fully present hearing your prayers right then. So you're not praying up to heaven and it's got to like travel for a while to get there. He's there in fullness. He's omnipresent, yet he responds and manifests differently in different situations. He's consistent in his own character and his promises and all this kind of stuff, but we see it in the Bible and in our community group the other night we kind of took a tangent and and looked at one example of, of where, where God's like, I'm going to do this. And then Moses is like, well, what about these things? And God's like, all right, I'm not going to do that. And it's like, well, I thought God was unchangeable. So yeah, he's unchangeable in his character. And when, with his character, he's, he faithfully responds to what's going on in the moment. He meets us in the timeline. And so when his children are being prayerless about something, he's responding to that. 
And when his children begin to pray about something, he responds to that. Why? Because he's good. He's consistently good in both, in both cases. And so we change the circumstances when we start praying about something to the God who is fully present. And not only fully present where you are, but he's fully present in the future because he's outside of time. And he's fully present for wherever else you're praying for at the moment. So if we pray right now for hope of life, our children's home in India, if we pray for them in this moment, he's fully present here, hearing what we're saying, fully present there, responding to our prayers. Now, it may not look the way that you and I think it would. It's not like a uh, hocus-pocus, like we've got to say the, the right magic spell or whatever for it to happen. Um, but he's able to hear and immediately respond. All the while being consistent and unchangeable. Accomplishing what he said he's going to accomplish. So prayer is ridiculously powerful. And sometimes I find myself being like, is there anything I can do you know, for you, you know, besides pray? Like, well, there's nothing more powerful I can do for anyone than pray for them. So let's not act like prayer is like, uh, like a, this like side thing. Like, oh, well, you know, I can pray, but yeah, what, what else can I do? It's like, no, that, that leads the charge for us. To go into our room, close the door, pray to our Father who's unseen. For our own needs, for the needs of others, knowing He's already present in the moment and in the future. And, you know what I mean? Like, everything just, like, comes together and works. So he makes this informed response based on all these things that we know about him. The next thing, um, worship. His omnipresence affects worship. Go back to the conversation with the woman at the well. She's real, she wants to know where. Jesus is like, well, it's really not that important where. Now, I'm a, I'm a big believer in sacred spaces. I believe this building, beyond this piece of ground, that God's done things in this structure for a long time, and so there should be a goodness about the way we treat this place. A gratitude. Uh, when there's a work day, we should show up and we should work, because God has uh, the stewardship of the saints ahead of us, and God has gifted this, all that kind of stuff, yes. But worship is not confined to here at 5 o'clock on Sundays. That you worship anywhere. God, it's also not confined to music. And so because God is spirit, you're able to ascribe worth to him and all the things that we do. So if you're driving to work and you're praying or you're singing or whatever you're doing, that's worship. If you are representing Christ at work or at home or on campus or wherever, that's worship because you're showing him how much he's worth. All these things that we do, all the kindness, everything that we do is worship. Because God is fully present all the time. So it's not about from 5 to 6.30 on Sundays, that's when we worship. Or when the band is playing, that's when we worship. And then there's the preaching, and then there's some more worship usually. It's all worship. So everywhere we go, God's full presence is there, watching and, and receiving all of the worth that we give to Him through all the ways that we uh, can worship Him. Let me give you one more. It might seem kind of random. Um, but we have, we have a lot of parents in our church now. Our demographic has definitely switched a lot in the last several years. And um, God's omnipresence fits into parenting. The fact that you can only watch your kids 
when you're actually watching your kids. That you are confined to space. They are confined to space. And there are times when you're apart from them. But your God is fully present with them. So if you're asleep in your room and they're asleep in their room, you can listen, you can have the baby monitor, you can all that kind of stuff, but God is fully present there. And to grasp that and let that continue to dive deeply, it's going to be a really, really important, especially as they get older, and there's more distance there, and there's more time away from you, and there's more trust that's required, and there's, as, they, as you raise them to be independent and to uh, be free thinkers and to trust the Lord on their own, there, there has to be this really deep belief of knowing that even though, even if, if you, they're not in your presence, they are in the Lord's presence in fullness. To raise them with that kind of narrative, really, really important. To talk with them about that. To help them through their fears and anxieties. And kids are, are afraid from a very young age. But the age of where they get anxious is getting earlier and earlier. And to coach them through that. To parent them. To lead them. To shepherd them through that. To make God's omnipresence a part of that discussion. Is shaping a very healthy Jesus narrative in their lives. For them to know that even when mom and dad aren't around. God's with me. And not just part of him, all of him. And he'll take care of me. And even if bad stuff happens, nothing can really harm me because God's got me. Those kind of truths. For them to not grow up and and have to redo all their wiring and all their thinking about God. For that to be a goal, you have to see how God's omnipresence impacts your life as a parent. I could go on and on and on forever, but I won't. And I know you're thankful for that. So God's presence, full, constant, it's a difference maker. And so I think we should celebrate that. And so we're going to celebrate that through song, and then we're going to celebrate that through feasting and but I hope that this is, is really unlocking some really deep things in us. It's really helped me, and I hope it's helped you too. So why don't you stand as the band comes back up. Let me pray for us. God, we know uh, just from the scriptures and just from uh, all this stuff that uh, we know that you're here with us in fullness. And yet we know that uh, it's the manifestation of that presence that's so, so important to us. I'm grateful, God, for the ways that you remind us and uh, assure us of your nearness. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us as we sing uh, to respond in spirit and truth like Jesus said to the fact that you're not confined, you're not restricted, that there aren't limits on you in, in any way, shape, or form. And yet you meet us where we are. In our greatest moments and in our worst moments, 
You're there to lead us and hold us and keep us and protect us and correct and bless and shepherd us with such precision and goodness that uh, it's just stunning. And although worship is not confined to a time or space or form, uh, we're going to worship you through song now. May you just be lifted high and and, uh, may you hear what our our hearts are really thinking and feeling and uh, just a deep response from your children who are grateful.